The Whole Health Cure with Dr. Sharon Berquist, the podcast that brings you inspiration and skills for living a healthy and fulfilled life. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Whole Health Cure podcast. I'm Dr. Sharon Berquist, a lifestyle medicine, healthy aging, and prevention expert. Each week on this podcast, we have in-depth, behind-the-scenes conversations about lifestyle approaches to health and healing to help you live your happiest, healthiest, and most fulfilling life. Let's get started. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Hansa Bargava. Um, she's the Chief Medical Officer at Medscape Education and a board-certified pediatrician. She's author of Building Happier Kids, Stress-Busting Tools for Parents. With expertise in parenting, mental health, and pregnancy, she's helped develop the WebMD Baby app and WebMD Pregnancy app. A regular contributor to Forbes, she's frequently interviewed by major news outlets on issues of health and well-being in children. In addition to her work at Medscape Education, she's collaborated with the American Academy of Pediatrics and is an elected executive member of the American Academy of Pediatrics Committee on Communications and Media. So thank you so much for joining. Thank you for having me, Sharon. It's my pleasure. Yeah, and I'm so excited about our conversation today because we focus a lot on adults, the mental well-being of, um, you know, know, I'm in internal medicine and the lifestyle medicine perspective on how to improve well-being in adults. And I'm excited to talk about children today because obviously um, we all operate as a family unit and uh, the mental health of parents is heavily tied into the mental health of children. I want to start by asking you um, just what you see in children and mental health. Yeah. And Sharon, again, thank you for having me and talk, um, giving me the opportunity to talk about this really, really important topic. Look, I think that we are at a unique moment in time right now. I, you know, we know that the um, youth mental health crisis has risen exponentially. And I wouldn't just say over the pandemic, but prior to the pandemic. In fact, as a pediatrician, I was seeing and hearing about many, many kids who are having anxiety, depression, you know, suicide risk, all of those things. And then the pandemic happened. And, you know, with the pandemic, I think that catalyzed things a lot because we went to online schools, we had social activities canceled, which you, I know, know that that's the very fabric of humanity, right? To have those social connections and, you know, how they interplay with health and stress. Um, And now we are just at a crisis point. Um, Kids are uh, having more anxiety than ever. ER visits are up by 31%. The AAP, American Academy of Pediatrics, has come out with statements about um, how important it is to screen for mental health issues with kids. So I think this is the moment. But lastly, I'll just say, I remain optimistic because we're talking about it. And so now, now that we're aware of it, perhaps we can actually pivot. Right. And, and so I'm thinking as a parent, what are ways that I could potentially assess the mental well-being of my child? Well, I would start at the very beginning. So, um, you know, when we have children and I'm a parent myself, uh, you know, We are so attuned to everything when they are younger. And then as life gets busier and busier and busier, um, sometimes the fundamentals get lost. And the fundamentals are not just nutrition, physical activity, and sleep, which are incredibly important, but just the connection and the family time and the restorative health that, that we all have to do. Like just 
hanging out with the kids and taking the time and letting them take that time. So I would say that as parents, I think it's really important to look at prevention as well as knowing what the science of mental health is and intervention. So as physicians, we always talk about prevention and intervention, but I think that's the same with the parenting. Yeah. And, and as a parent, um, you know, I've, like you said, having that time together and having those building blocks in place, place are important. Are there certain signs or signals parents should be looking for to be able to sense where their child is in this spectrum of how they're doing with mental health? Yeah. And, you know, that's a great question. And as a pediatrician, I always tell parents that you know your child best and you know where your baseline is for your child. So whether it's physical illness or mental illness, you know where your baseline is. So for for mental health issues, some of the signs, and it depends on the age, of course, I would say, you know, between the ages of, say, four and eight or nine, the signs are often like, you know, angry outbursts, just, you know, um, uh, being mad and sad a lot or just being withdrawn. Uh, but then also there's um, body signs that kids have that's a little bit different than adults in that they'll complain of stomach aches or they might just, you know, project some of those things in physical symptoms like, oh, my arm hurts and you look and there's nothing or headaches. So those kind of signs can also be symptoms of stress. Um, and then in older kids, uh, the, um, the, the you know, the outbursts could still be there or kids can go up to their room and they don't want to talk to you. They could sleep more. They could eat more. They could eat less. They could sleep less. But the bottom line, Sharon, is that if your child is outside of what you know to be his or her baseline, then it's time to kind of assess that and potentially call for help. Mm -hmm. That's really good advice. And so far, we've talked about just restorative things we can do as parents and as a family unit. But this picture of stress is really a bigger one, right? As a society, I sense that kids are faced with more stress in terms of expectations, you know, getting into good colleges, taking advanced classes, doing a lot of extracurriculars. Um, There are a lot of trends finding and navigating a person's way through that, finding that balance of wanting the best for your child, but not wanting to overstress a child. What advice do you have about that? Yeah. And, and, you know, that I talk about that in my book as the S's, (laughs) how the S's have taken over our lives. So the S's really is like scheduling or overscheduling of it, right? Sleep or lack of sleep. Screens are over stimulation with screens. And I'd like to dive into that a little bit more because that's such an important part of, of um, kids today. But yeah, no, I think, um, but what, what we have lost is just the, the time to actually relate to ourselves, to our inner circle, whether it's friends or family, and to our community. And those, those are, that is the fabric of every society. And, and, and what is really interesting is that no matter where you go in the world, And no matter what culture or religion you're from, that fabric is everywhere. Like whether it's temple or church or, you know, certain religious holidays or weddings or funerals, like that fabric of community has been knit through like thousands of years. So just because we have screens and social media now, and, you know, we think that we want to play every sport like a pro, that has not gone away. And that is essential to our humanity, but also to our emotional well-being. Mm-hmm. And, 
it, with the screens, as you mentioned, and I do want to get into that more as well, because I feel like a lot of the things that we used to do as children, i.e. go outside and play and, and make friends, is now being taken over by um, like chatting with friends, texting, etc. Um, you know, some of it is just introduction of technology, um, but is there a way to balance how much screen time and learning of technology is is there any advice on what to do um, to to work with the reality of where we are in this era? Yeah, that's such a great question, Sharon. I think unfortunately, all of us as parents do struggle with that, right? Because uh, screens are just a really important part of growing up now. It's like I don't know, thirty or forty years ago, somebody said, "Well." you're not allowed to have a television in the house. I mean, that would be really hard or a telephone, right? And so we're kind of at the same juncture with screens. They're not going anywhere. They are a part of our life. But the question is, you know, how much a part of our life they have to be. And also the quality of the screen time is really, really important. So I always talk about filling the bottle with big rocks first, the big rocks, which are fundamentals. And, you know, that is family time. That is restorative time. That is sleep and nutrition. And then when there's time left over, you know, you can insert screens in there. Now, having said that, of course, I preserve in my own family times where there are no screens. That includes carpool time because it's a great time to talk. Even if my teens don't want to talk to me, they still have to be silent. They still have to be silent with me. Um, but eventually they'll start talking, right? Or at the dinner table or, you know, you know, telling them that, you know, it's not a good idea to have those, um, those phones in your room either. So I think there are things that we can do, but I don't want to burden parents with one more thing. I think if you just have those principles in your head um, that can help as well and lastly I just want to say look there's different types of screen time we talk about this with, um, at the AP committee on screen time which which I sit on and that is you know there's passive interaction with screens and there's active interaction with screens and so watching a movie is not equivalent to spending two hours on a social media platform and in what way do you perceive them to be different yeah um, so Basically, if you are watching a movie or a show with your kids, there might be opportunities to have bonding and interaction. So you could have some positive outcomes out of that. So as you're sitting there, you can discuss the movie. I often, you know, my daughter off, often will stop and say, well, what do you think about that character doing that? And we have a discussion about it or we might have a discussion afterwards with with social media, you know, I think that, yes, there is some positives to it, but often it really pushes this um, uh, this feeling that there's a perfect world out there and, you know, I'm not perfect. And that can actually lead to uh, symptoms of anxiety and depression. There's been numerous studies to, to show that impact on our youth. Yeah. And um, this, when you're trying to help a child, it's hard for me not to think of a parent's mental well-being and where they are with all of this, because everything we're saying about children, of course, applies to adults. I think it's equally hard for a lot of adults to limit their screen time. Some of it really a requirement of working. Um, hard for adults to 
you know, eat right, exercise, um, take that time to be with family because they may feel that they've got to go do laundry and do X, Y, Z, and they're feeling their sense of stress. So there's this kind of push and pull of trying to create that environment for your child, but also for a lot of parents struggling to do it for themselves. What's a way to break out of that cycle? Yeah, it's such a great question, Sharon. And it's, and it's very hard. I'm a parent myself. It's so hard. And, and, you know, parents have had undue stress placed on them in the last few years. And even prior to that, with our society of just trying to go better, faster, stronger all the time, and, and you know, just the college, you know, the college race to nowhere and the athletic race to nowhere. And, you know, um, billions of dollars have been for example, funneled into athletics, right? And I'm just going to say, like I talk about this in my book, about how the 10-year-old now is expected to pitch like a 16-year-old, right? And that's not what was true decades ago, right? So there's a lot of pressure on parents, you know, to show up for meets and travel with their kids to sports events and not know, ultimately knowing that the percentage of kids who actually get uh, recruited by professional leagues is very minimal, right? So we get into this race to nowhere um, for all of these areas. And what we forget is, you know, the things that really help our kids thrive, right? The mental health toolbox, as I call it. And it is hard. So I would say the answer, honestly, is to reprioritize, you know, to reprioritize and let some things go. And for us as a family, that's what I've been forced to do. I was one of those moms. And, and you know, I talk about it in my book and suddenly I realized that this was not doing my kids any good, that I actually had to reprioritize. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, you know, again, really hard as a parent trying to navigate um, that balance of introducing kids to opportunities and then not um, maybe expecting too much. Like you said, um, a lot of people who enter sports, for example, think of, of it more as an opportunity for that child to get the benefits of being in a, in a sporting activity as opposed to excelling and um you know, reaching a threshold that only, say, a certain top percent would reach. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not saying, believe me, I'm not saying kids should not be in sports. I think it's wonderful for kids to be in sports. I think physical exercise is so important. And sports has this um, camaraderie, right? And, you know, and and there's been plenty of studies to show that kids who participate in team sports or any sport really do better from an emotional perspective. So I'm absolutely not saying that. What I'm saying is that, you know, with your family, only you know, you know, what everyone can do without it really breaking the stress threshold. And so just kind of figuring out what your child likes, what is his or her passion, right? And, you know, purpose, passion and purpose is really important, right? And what is the purpose of actually signing up for one more activity? And there's always a price you pay. Like if that, if that means you're running around all Saturday and all Sunday, well, guess what? You didn't have a chance to rest either. And now you're going into this week you know, without having any chance to actually recover from the week prior. I still remember talking to this mom on the playground one day and she, and it was Sunday and she's like, Oh my gosh, like, I just feel like the week begins and it's this runaway train. Um, and I can't stop it. Um, and then it comes to a screeching halt and then it starts up again on Saturday. Wow. Like that's just so sad about our society that we cannot breathe because we are so, we're just on this keeping up with Jones, keeping up with the Joneses uh, in every category. And 
And I want to kind of take that a step further, you know, for a child, for example, is experiencing that stress and, and feeling that they need to perform really well in a lot of different domains. What are the ramifications? Like I'm trying to project, okay, if that's your child today, um, five years from now, 10 years from that, what do you anticipate um, and and vice versa, you know, how do you see the outcome when people spend that time, um, you know, maybe more focused on family and a lot of the um, pillars that you just mentioned? Yeah. And I think that, you know, if, if a child is constantly running, ultimately they're going to feel like you're feeling when you're constantly running, right? They're going to be exhausted emotionally. Um, they're going to measure themselves by how many things they do, not necessarily whether they like them or are passionate about them or there's a reason for them doing it. Uh, and they may measure themselves by, you know, academics. And, and that's okay, but it's really important to guard our children's self-esteem because, you know, they should feel that they are worthy, period, Right. They should they should not need to measure themselves with how many things they do or how many travel teams they're on or, you know, how many how many A's they have. The point is for them to know that you're there to because you enjoy it, that you have purpose and also um, that it's OK to fall. That's the other thing, Sharon, uh, you know, that I think in our society, like we have somehow over the last few decades um, done this to our kids where we expect them to be perfect with everything in social media is telling them they need to be perfect for everything, but there is no perfection. None of us are perfect. And, and it's really sad that kids feel that pressure to be perfect in everything they do from every angle. When the truth is, you know, imperfection is beautiful and it's an opportunity to learn. I mean, when you, when our kids are toddlers and they fall, we don't yell at them for falling. Right. And we right. allow them to get up again. So why are we doing this to them in every other year of their life that they, you know, we, we're not happy if they're not perfect or we don't allow them to fall. We're always there rescuing them. Mm -hmm. and, and that really dovetails to another trend, um, you know, different maybe from our generation to our kids' generation is the degree to which parents are involved, um, whether it's with homework, with school activities, with extracurricular activities. Um, do you have thoughts on, you know, where we're headed? Um, is this a good trend? Do you see a downside to this trend? Yeah, and I, I will describe, like, th there's a story that, um, that really... Um, kind of come comes out at me about this and that is like you know the perfect student right who ends up going to the perfect college or what the parents think is a perfect college um but then ends up in college having anxiety and depression and doesn't really know how to navigate life because they've never really been allowed to do that right they haven't been allowed to fall and i have heard of many, many students who have come across this. In fact, one that stands out is a student who went to an Ivy League school and got the perfect job. And, and then once she got the job, it was really hard for her to show up on time and know when her meetings were and actually, you know, um, relate to people there. And at the end of the day, it was because she was a child of a helicopter parent. Everything was done for her. And, you know, and, and that really impacted her ability to grow and manage life. So, I think we're doing our kids a disservice. I really do. And I will say I'm, I was guilty of that before. I feel like I've, <laughs> I've changed and I sometimes catch myself doing that again because we all want to take care of our children. But 
that's not how thousands of years across so many cultures we ra- we actually did raise our children. I mean, we raise our children in a community. And if you even go back 30 years in the United States of America, we played until the sun came down. I mean, there was no parent saying, oh, my goodness, don't go on that corner. And then go, don't go on that corner. Don't ride that bike. Don't do this. We had that freedom to make our decisions. And yes, we came back with scraped knees. And sometimes we even broke something. But we learned from that, right? So the ability to fall and get up again is so important for our children. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And it brings up, you know, something I've heard, and I'm sure you've heard that, you know, as parents, our goal is to raise successful adults, as opposed to successful students or successful kids. Um, In terms of laying that foundation for our children to be successful as adults, kind of over the long term, um, what are things that we as parents can encourage to give our kids that foundation? Yeah, and I think, um, I think it's really, really important for, again, the importance of letting them them fall, but also giving them the love and support that they need. And this is where, Sharon, I think another principle is really important that I think we've forgotten. And that is, it's being a good parent is not about having your child participate in a, in a lot of activities and going to every social event. Being a good parent is being there for them, right? And taking care of yourself. Because you cannot pour from an empty cup. And that's the oxygen mask. You cannot put an oxygen mask on your child if you don't have one yourself. And the thing about kids is, and as a pediatrician, often when kids come in with stomach aches, you know, and we've ruled out the physical causes, I'll turn to the parent and I'll say, well, what's going on in the family? Tell me, you know, did somebody lose their job? Are things hard for you at home? You know, was there death in the family? Was there something else that's going on? And kids absorb that stress. So if you are stressed out yourself, it doesn't matter what you say to your child. They know you're stressed out at every age and they act accordingly. So you have to take care of yourself. I cannot emphasize that enough. Yeah. And and Hansa, on that note, how much um, of a response to stress do kids form in those early years? Um, how foundational are they? Um, so if they watch the parent and they adopt that parent's response, um, what's the impact of that down the road? It's 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 pretty long term, right? We do talk about ACEs, right? Adverse childhood events. but And those are really, really um, difficult situations that kids have been through. However, if you have not even an adverse childhood event, which is huge, I mean, whatever that might be, your parents, you know, suddenly die, you're in, um, in a war, whatever that might be. Um, even if your life is pretty normal and those big events don't happen, if there's chronic stress, that can actually impact your your emotional well-being, your mental well-being, and as your research has shown, your physical well-being as well. And that can have long-term effects. And then lastly, it impacts the relationships that kids form with others, as well as their own economics, right? Because their ability to stay in college or go to college, or it doesn't have to be college, to stay in a job, those are all impacted. So it's so essential, the toolbox that you give them for mental emotional health is is so essential. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. I think in adults we probably see more of the effects of micro stresses than these yeah. macro stresses. Yes. Um and um kind of the cumulative toll of maintaining that pace of all these micro stressors. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and um you also mentioned um 
you know, self-compassion. Can you speak a little bit more about that piece of it? Yeah. And, you know, I think that as parents, we put a lot of, and even as people, we put a lot of stress on ourselves, right? Like our society, our culture has been very much a go-go culture and be stronger, be more powerful, be better, you know, but what we've forgotten is that in order to get there, you actually have to take that rest to recover, to recuperate. And I think an athleticism, like it's so interesting I, I did a, um, a gym class the other day and, and it was high intensity interval training, right? And it was so funny because they go into intervals and they say, go as fast as you can. But then there's actually recovery. They say now this interval, you're just going to stay still and do nothing. And that's true because that's, that's a good way to do it physiologically because it helps us, our muscles kind of recover. But what about us? Why aren't we doing that, right? Like that's important mentally and emotionally too to, to take that time for recovery. And lastly, it's important for kids because it allows them to kind of think, think through things, right? To process, to be creative, to kind of draw those in conclusions themselves without being spoon-fed things. And that's a really important skill as, a, as an adult too, no matter what you do. Right. Yeah. And and that recovery piece is so critical. I think we often forget that, you know, because I think we are fine to push ourselves if we allow that time because we do a lot of growth in, in our body remodels, as you just um, mentioned with that example of exercise. Um, so there is this way to push if you build in that time for recovery. Um, so I think that's a really important point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I think the self, that's the self-compassion piece. And Sharon, I'll just say one other thing. Like I did do an amazing course at Emory University and a lot of the principles in the book are from that cognitive-based compassion training. And one of the exercises they went through was, you know, how do you talk to yourself when something bad happens? So when you talk to a friend and the friend had something bad happen, probably you would say, oh, that's okay. It wasn't your fault. You know, this and this happened that kind of led to that event and you'll be fine. But when something bad happens with us, we often say, well, why did you do this? How stupid of you? You know, um, you, you should know better. That's how we talk to ourselves. And, and you know, that self-bullying has to stop. And that's part of self-compassion as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. And, you know, we've talked about kids being stressed and, and kids reaching this point of burning out. How about parents and, and parent burnout? Yeah, I really think that this was parents were getting burned out even prior to the pandemic. And the pandemic just put so much pressure on our parents, uh, parents, you know, as, as me and you and everyone else. But that was because we had so much to do during the pandemic, right? In addition to parenting, now we had to oversee online school and figure out, you know, uh, vaccines and masks and all that stuff. And there's nothing else we could, we couldn't have done anything differently. We did everything we, we could properly. But going forward, I think it's important to acknowledge that and give yourself a rest and make sure that in your schedule, that there's times where there's just really nothing to do for you or for you to make that connection with your friends, with your spouse, with your partner, with family, and work that into the schedule, just like you would work in a soccer game for your kids. So important to schedule that rest in, um, that communic- that connection with nature, or just 
nothingness. I mean, just sit and be. And those things are just so important for recovery. I mean, you know, we, you and I could talk about the physiology of all of that, but the truth is like, it's just really important, you know, to be better, stronger, better, and, and, and just be calm and content as well. So. Yeah. And, and the key is planning for it, right? I think we plan for an activity. We don't always plan that recovery time after the activity. Yeah. Um, we just jump to that next thing. Um, and so just uh, really putting it on our calendars and scheduling it as simple as that. And yeah. I think sometimes the simplest things are the hardest. <laughs> and sometimes you have to let go of other things, right? It's like making space. I mean, you can't do it all and you're not supposed to actually, but you do need to prioritize. And that is priority to recover and have that time for yourself and for your kids. Um, And if something has to go, so it has to go. I mean, there's, there's sleepovers we didn't go to. There are bar mitzvahs we didn't go to. There are parties we didn't go to because we prioritize this as more important. And yeah, it felt yucky at the time, but man, I think, you know, it's just so important. And, and, you know, the wellness, the emotional well-being for all of us is, you know, is, is definitely important. Yeah. And, and I think every time you pass up on something, there's, um, it's important to listen to the gut, right? Sometimes there's this sense of relief that you don't have to do something. Um, Cause I think some of the things we do because, you know, we are so trained to just respond and do and sometimes there's just such this sense of inner um kind of joy and peace and um contentment totally agree sharon and and the thing is i think when you're running around and trying to do everything you can't even listen to your gut like how do you listen to your gut how do you actually listen the gut's really the gut's such an interesting thing like the intuition right of what's right and if we could learn to listen to that inner voice, it really does help guide us. Now, you could explain it scientifically, like Malcolm Gladwell does in his book, Blink, or you could say it spiritually, whatever it is. I mean, that that is just really important to listen to. But in order to listen to it, you got to cut out the noise. Otherwise, you can't hear it. And you have to trust it. Yes, 100%. Yeah. And Hansu, in the time we have left, is there something that you think is so important for parents that we haven't had a chance to touch on? Any um, advice that you think um, parents would benefit from hearing? Yeah, well, I think we are at at a unique moment in time, and um, we have this opportunity to reset. And I think that I would love for parents and people, because we are a fatigued world right now, there's been a lot of bad news. And unfortunately, bad news is continuing to come in, you know, and, and we know that. And I think it's just really important now more than ever to look at prevention of mental and emotional health, to, to, be res- to have more resiliency and make the time for the pillars that will contribute to that. So that includes the space, reprioritizing, you know, making sure you have sleep and self-compassion. I think those are just so essential, especially at this time. And lastly, I, I didn't have a chance to say this, but the media, the, for us as parents, as people, it's not just about the kids. It's also controlling your own media consumption because there's been plenty of studies to show that the more news you watch, we're not 
wired to watch 24-7 news. That's not how, if you look back at our societies, you didn't have a drumbeat of 24-7 bad news, right? And it really does increase your stress levels. So just be cognizant and intentional. I'm not saying don't listen to the news at all um, or don't look go on social media. I'm just saying being intentional about it is really important. And being even more important is being intentional about the rest and recovery. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Hansa, thank you so much. This is just great. And and so timely, as you said, we really are at this turning point as a society and we are remarkably all synced in this turning point, which is amazing for a society globally to be in sync. Um, And and I think we all sense that need uh, for doing something to improve our physical and mental well-being. So thank you for um, all the advice you've shared to get us on that path and and all the work you do um, through Medscape and um, the work with the American Academy of Pediatrics to really help guide this whole process. Well, it's been such an honor to be with you, Sharon, and I know you're doing an amazing work yourself. So, you know, it's been an honor to speak with you about this. And hopefully as a society, you know, this is our moment to, you know, pivot and, and get better, you know, about things that really matter. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. The Whole Health Cure is brought to you by Emory Lifestyle Medicine and Wellness. For more information about wellness assessments, classes, and other resources, please visit our website, emoryhealthcare.org livewell. This material is copyrighted by Emory University.